It's everything. And I'm so excited about today's lesson. And I'm praying that God will speak to us this morning uh, as he spoke to me this week as I prepared uh, and studied for this lesson. Uh, what a tremendous lesson. Uh, and we're going to learn some things that we can know. And by the way, oh, there's Brother Rick. Ruby didn't knock him out. Okay, we're worried about you, Brother Rick, okay? <laughs> but she, uh, at any rate, what we know is so important because nothing can change that. What about your feelings? Thank you, Wayne. They do. They change constantly. But when we know what we know, what we know. And today, we're going to find out some things we know from the Scriptures. And that will help us endure to the end. The title of our lesson this morning is Holy Like Him. Of course, the hymn is Christ. Our family theme is being called to holiness. Our objective is that you and I would set our hope on blessings to come and live a holy and loving life simply out of reverence for our holy God. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Our text begins in verse 3 down to the end of the chapter. We're going to look at two key truths this morning. Number one, believers are to be joyful in every circumstance because of God's promises. Now, remember, we didn't say joyful because of them, but joyful in them. And the reason is because of God's promises. Now, why does that make it important? God's promises. It's going to come to pass. Our circumstances, like our feelings, will change. But the promises of God stand sure. So we can be joyful no matter what our circumstances are because of God's promises. Second key truth. As believers, we are to display holiness, reverence, and love while we wait for Jesus Christ to come back again. Under our Bible basics thing we should all know, the question we're going to deal with this morning is, why did Jesus die on the cross? We're asking you that question. Go ahead. To cover our sins. Why was that needful? Why do we need that? Amen. Who needs it? Everybody. We are all sinners. Now, today in our text in First Peter, uh, Peter going to say, Reminds us that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain lifestyle. But he says we are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's a thing we can know, okay? That's also interesting. And you're right, Wayne. Jesus died to take care of our sins. Not his own, but ours. And Isaiah prophesied about the Savior that would come. That he would die and he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And he said, we've all gone astray like sheep. So Jesus died for our sins. And thank God he died in our place. Now, by the way, is that a fact? Yes. That's one thing we can for sure no. So where does this letter Peter wrote, where does it fit in the overall story of the Bible? 
Uh, most believe that it was written around A.D. Uh, 62 through uh, A.D. 63. And the folks he's writing to are Christians who are scattered because of persecution, uh, mainly in Asia Minor, uh, probably modern-day Turkey in that area. Okay, and I'll get started this morning. Uh, what are things that we look forward to in our lives? Anything, anything comes to your mind, maybe personally for you. What are some of the things that you really look forward to? Say what? Where do you go for vacation, Dan? Okay, all right. Look forward to vacation, all right. Uh, I didn't know there's more than one place you go vacation. Uh, I, I kind of figured that, okay. What do you say, Mike? Oh, God, now, come on. But yeah, we look forward to vacation, time away sometimes. Uh, you know, a lot of things in life we look forward to. But you know, as children of God, we have something very, very wonderful we're looking forward to. And that's spending eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the hope and joy we have. We know that one day, no matter what this world may afford us, we're going to spend eternity face to face with God. Thank God for that. Well, the uh, this letter that Peter wrote, First uh, Peter, is uh, part of the Bible known as the General Epistles. Uh, Peter wrote two of them. Uh, James wrote one. John wrote three of those. And we also have the epistle of the letter that Jude wrote. It's generally been agreed for many, many years that Peter wrote First Peter. He identifies himself. Uh, the problem is a lot of modern scholars say, well, maybe he didn't write it because it shows too much uh, uh, etiquette in his language and Peter considers as an unlearned person, but that doesn't matter to me. Uh, Peter is declared to be the author of that and certainly he did write this letter. Again, primarily uh, to Gentile believers uh, in the area of Asia. Uh, they were scattered and they were certainly uh, suffering because of their faith in Christ. And Peter set out to encourage them uh, that, you know, this, this life, no matter what we face, it's worth it all just to know the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So he writes this letter. He said, look, I know you're going through tough times, but I want to encourage you to stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful no matter what you're going through. It will be worth it. Now, by the way, uh, again, just so we understand, how... How severe was the persecution back then for Christians a lot of times? That's right. They could even die for their faith. So, uh, you know, even uh, a lot of Jews who became Christians were sort of excommunicated by their families. They no longer have, uh, were considered part of the family. So a lot of things, but they could even die uh, for their faith in uh, Christ. So Peter says, look, it's important to understand. You know, there'll be difficult times, and you're going through them right now. But Peter said it's very necessary that I encourage you to remain faithful in your walk with God. So again, it was uh, Peter writes this in a normal way. Uh, he begins by identifying himself as a writer. He identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the way, before we forget, what is an apostle? Can't all talk at one time. What are the requirements? You've had to have seen Jesus, okay? You had to be a witness of him, okay? And certainly Peter was one of those. Now, that being said, there are no more apostles alive today. 
that era has passed. But nonetheless, in the first part of the chapter, we're going to pick at verse 3 in a moment, uh, he identifies who he's writing to, he, he uh, greets them uh, with a blessing, and again, addressing the, the, uh, the hope they need to have even in the midst of suffering. Our first key truth this morning is believers are joyful in every circumstance because of God's promises. We're going to read verses 3 through 12. Now, by the way, just a footnote here. In the Greek text, verses 3 through 12 are one sentence. One, there's no punctuation, no commas, simply one long sentence. Thank God our English version had broken it down a little bit. But somebody read verses 3 through 12, 1 Peter chapter 1. Thank you, Dan. What a what a tremendous passage. And I want to go back, if you will, to verse 3 in the first, uh, verse 3, uh, 4, uh, and 5. Pa- Peter gives, I said Paul, I meant Peter, not Paul, but Peter gives us a tremendous truth here. First of all, uh, he blesses God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and reminds us that we have been begotten again, notice this, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice that phrase there. First of all, is this a fact? Yes. Now remember, Peter is writing to a group of people who many, if not most of them, are suffering extreme persecution. And a lot of times, 
whenever extreme difficulty comes our way, what if we're not careful, what can become our attitude? Say it again. Yeah, what's the use? Is it really worth it? What's Peter tell us? Yes, it is. Folks, do you realize what God has done for us through Christ? Peter said, because of his abundant mercy. How many of that's the only reason you're saved today? Because of his abundant mercy, Peter said that he has begotten us again. Now, by the way, Peter is the only New Testament writer to use that particular phrase in the Greek. The only one. He repeats it again in verse 23 in this first chapter of First Peter. Now, again, uh, it means to be born again. And, of course, we know that when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. But those were two separate words, even when, when John wrote them in the Greek. But they're different than the words that Peter used here. And it's just kind of interesting. Uh, Peter understood, and many believe he was had in mind what Jesus had told Nicodemus. You have been begotten again. You're not who you used to be. God, through Christ, has made a difference in your life. So Peter says, if you're a child of God, no matter what you're going through, and by the way, when Peter said, blessed be the God, he's saying, praise be to God. God deserves our praise when? All the time. Why? Because we have been begotten again through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a Savior we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Peter begins, if you will, uh, to praise God. And uh, he gives us, after that, specific reasons that we need to praise God. And what he does, he begins with the beauty of our salvation. Think about this. The beauty of our salvation. How do you describe that? How do you put it in words? But Peter does. He describes how wonderful our salvation is. And Peter reminds us it's all because of God's mercy. Nothing we could do to earn it. And Peter says we need to give God praise because he has allowed us the privilege to be born again. Thank God for that. Now, by the way, can you buy that? No. Can you earn it? No, can't do that. Uh, in fact, it's only a gift from God. Now, by the way, Peter, I mean, what a this, this chapter is just oozing with theology, and that can be practical in our lives. That can encourage us in our everyday walk with God. Now, I don't mean to shock you, but you know there are people who don't believe the gospel. Do you know there are people who scoff at us and, and, and think we're a little bit, you know, about three bricks short of a load? But you know what? To me, it doesn't matter what they think. I know what God has done in my life. I know the change that Christ has made in my life and in your life. You know it as well. And, and Peter says, look, you know, this thing of being born again. Now, I was reading, uh, I don't forget, some article this week, and uh, I'd kind of forgotten about it, but... They mentioned, and this might have been just a secular news order, uh, or article, I'm sorry, 
about the term born again. You know, what does it mean? And they made the statement, it really became popular in America uh, during the Jimmy Carter days. You know, he claimed to be born again. And not, I'm not saying he wasn't, that's not the issue here. Uh, but a lot of people have no idea what being born again really means. And, you know, it literally means being born from above, born from God. But what's interesting is, <coughs> Peter says, when you're born again, there are some amazing results. And the first thing Peter says, we are born again to a living hope. And, because, and, and the reason the living hope is because Jesus Christ is alive. Now let that sink in for a moment. It's a living hope because Jesus Christ is alive. So Peter says, you've been begotten again, you've been born again unto a living hope. And so Peter reminds us that hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me, let me stop here for a moment. Peter says, you're born again unto a living hope. And he ties that living hope in with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many know that we can know we're saved? Amen. We can have that blessed assurance of salvation. And what Peter is saying is this. This living hope we have is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and this living hope that we have in contrast with the world may say, our hope is a sure hope. It is a sure, certain, and it's just as real as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to ask you a question this morning. Do you think Peter doubted that Jesus raised from the dead? No, not at all. In fact, if you go back to the book of Acts, almost all the New Testament preaching revolved around the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, which is in a nutshell the gospel. And so Peter was absolutely certain that Jesus had died, he had lived, he died, was buried, and he rose again. And Peter says, just as sure and real as the resurrection of Christ is, so is our living hope. Aren't you glad we can know that? And Peter's encouraging those then being persecuted, and even us today, to continue in that hope. But not only does this new birth being begotten again or born again bring about a living hope, Peter says we also have an inheritance. Think about that. We have an inheritance. And by the way, how long will this inheritance last? Forever. And Peter wants us to know that. Now again, it's important what we know. When you said earlier that our, our, our emotions change, and they do, our circumstances change, and they do, but what doesn't change? What, yeah, what's love, what we know, and what Christ has done for us. And so Peter said, you've got a living hope, you've also got a wonderful inheritance. Now, it's interesting. Uh, one, one, in fact, our study guide said Peter got into the preacher mode 
and he used three words to describe this inheritance. And it's interesting, we don't see it in the English, but in the Greek, they all three begin with the same letter, the letter A, or Alpha, which means no, and they end in the same syllable. Now, we don't see that in the English, but that, that is true in the Greek. So Peter says, well, first of all, let me ask you this question. What can happen to the inheritance we have with God? Nothing. Peter says it's incorruptible. He says it's undefiled. And it will never fade away. Now, remember what I told you in the Greek, they all begin with the letter alpha, which means no. So there's no corruption, there's no defilement, and there's no fading away. Is that different than the things in this world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Peter said all of this, this inheritance, it is not corruptible, it's not corrupted, it is not defiled, it's not going to ever fade away. Peter says, it is kept in heaven. Wow, what a word. And that's a, that's a military word. It means to be garrisoned or guarded in heaven. Now, by the way, if God is guarding something, who can touch it? Nobody. Who can destroy it? Nobody. It is kept in heaven. And by the way, that's what Paul, Peter is saying here, I'm sorry, what Peter is saying here, and listen very carefully. I know he's saying things are tough. You're, you're suffering persecution. Peter doesn't deny that. But Peter says, because of all these blessings, this living hope, because of this inheritance will never go away, Peter says, you have to endure as good soldiers of the cross, no matter what you go through here on earth. Now, by the way, I know that Peter is writing in the context of persecution, but how many know sometimes even the normal challenges of life can be tough? And Peter knows that. He knows that as well. Now, here's what's interesting is this. Folks, this is very important. All of these trials, persecutions, the normal challenges of life, those trials will will reveal how genuine our faith is. Think that. Now, you let let that sink in. I'll guarantee you, and I'm praying that it doesn't happen in our lifetime, but one of these days it's going to happen. It'll be dangerous to go to church in America. And I want to tell you, when persecution hits the church in America like it hit in the New Testament, membership's going to fade out. Because these trials, these persecutions, will certainly reveal how genuine the faith is. But also understand, genuine faith also brings honor and glory and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, we have to know, what has God done for us? He's given us a a living hope. He's giving us an eternal inheritance. And, And Peter says, these are blessed assurances. 
These are blessed truths that sustain us as we travel in this world. Strangers, pilgrims, exiles here on this earth. And then in verses 8 through 9, Peter says, when our faith in Christ is genuine, it will lead us to a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Thank God for that. And this rejoices, this rejoicing that Peter talks about, it's not superficial. It's not some rah, rah, give me three cheers for Jesus. It is a deep joy. It is a joy uh, that focuses on the fact that you and I have received precious promises and nothing more precious than our salvation. And this rejoicing focuses on that for all of those who love and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, I got to confess this morning, I think sometimes, I know myself, I tend to take my salvation for granted. I tend to forget how precious it is. And Peter says, I want you to know something today, folks. And right into those believers then, he said, I want to remind you that the salvation that we enjoy, Peter said, is so amazing that even the prophets, now think about this, even the prophets tried and they searched diligently to find out, to understand it. And the problem was, no matter how hard they tried, they just couldn't wrap their mind around it. Never could understand uh, how and when this was going to happen. And by the way, certainly when you read Isaiah, the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, they simply could not comprehend how the one sent from God would have to suffer When he didn't deserve suffering, he deserved glory. So Peter says, think about that. Think of how how amazing this salvation is. The prophets tried all they could to understand the how and the when and the why. And they simply couldn't determine that. But now Peter says, it's been revealed to us. And I want to encourage you, he says... That as you go through these difficulties of life, as you suffer this persecution, uh, Peter says you have to be, uh, be, be focused on the fact that all of this, all of this, even your present sufferings, fit into the wonderful plan of God. Know this. Now, it's interesting Verse 12, Peter says, and he reveals the fact that these prophets, they understood that what they were writing was not for themselves, but for some generation that would follow after them, come later on. And Peter says, these prophets knew they were coming a group of people that would one day know the completeness of of God's salvation. So Peter said, remember, when you're going through tough times, 
And like you said earlier, Wayne, when you think this is not worth it, Peter said, when you think about that, remember it is. Remember how amazing your salvation is. Remember how the prophets agonized over it. But not only that, Peter said not, not only were the prophets amazed by that experience, so are the angels in heaven. Would you agree our salvation is amazing? It is amazing. So Peter said, we'll apply it that way, live with joy and hope. Why? Because we know heaven is waiting for us. Okay, let's do a discussion question this morning. Okay, at least one. Why do Christians always have a reason for hope and joy? Why do Christians always have a reason for hope and joy? Amen. But what if this happens, Dan? Yeah, it doesn't matter. We have a home in heaven. We have an inheritance that can't fade away. It can't be defiled. It can't be corrupted. Thank God for that. Now, I mentioned the resurrection a moment ago. And Peter said our living hope is based on the resurrection of Christ. So what role does the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what role does that play in our hope? It's the whole basis. Why do you say that, Wayne? I agree, Wayne. Now, Wayne, are you trying to tell me that they did crucify Christ? Well, did he die? Did he die? Okay, did they bury him? But then what happened? He raised again. Now, remember, the resurrection is, if you will, God's stamp of approval on the finished work of Christ. If God had not been satisfied... With that sacrifice, Christ would still be in the grave. And, Wayne, you're right. If he's still in the grave, our hope is gone. And so when we think about how important the resurrection is for our hope, we have to understand. Now, hold on. We talk about enemies of the faith. What is the greatest enemy any of us will ever face? Death. Death. I don't care who you are, what your lot in life is, if God tarries, we're all going to face that enemy. But how did Jesus do with that enemy? He was victorious. And because he was victorious, because he lives, the Bible says, we shall live also. Now, by the way, folks, that's something we know. Christ was victorious over death, held in the grave, and so shall we be as well. Third question. This is a little bit tougher. How do trials test and prove how genuine our faith is? How do trials Test and prove how genuine our faith is. 
How do they do that? How do they do that? Yeah. It shows us whether we are strong enough in our faith to trust Him. Now, I, I certainly w- wish that I could stand here this morning and tell you I never have a problem with that, but I do sometimes. And there's been so many times in my life that I have wrung my hands. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? And more than on one occasion, God through the Spirit spoke to me. And he lets me know he, he can handle this. He can handle this. And these trials, these Tests number one, they refine our faith, but they also show whether or not we are truly trusting in God. So number one, if you're a believer, we are joyful in every circumstance because of God's promises. Second key truth. If you're a believer, we're to display holiness reverence, and love while we wait for Christ to return. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Somebody read that, please. Thirteen through 25. Sorry, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Alan, would you go back to uh, verse 13? What's the first word there? What does that mean? What I just said. Because of this amazing salvation. Because of this salvation that's so amazing, the prophets inquired into it, the angels did that, it's now been revealed to you. Peter says, 
going up, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, certainly poetic speech there, but, you know, pull your sash up. Get ready to persevere, knowing how great a salvation we have, how amazing it is. And what Peter begins to speak about in verse 13 through the rest of the passage really revolves around four commands. And everything else simply supports them or modifies them. First of all, in verse 13, Peter says, we're to set our hope completely on the grace to come. Put your hope in God. Well, wait a minute. Why not put it in the Republicans? Or the Democrats are in our portfolio. No. That's corruptible. It'll fade away. Put your hope in God. That's the first command. And then in verse 15, Peter says, we're to be holy. And why are we to be holy? Because God is holy. What? Holy, holy, holy. Right, amen. We are to be holy. That's a command. A third command in verse 17 is we're to conduct ourselves with reverence for God. We're to spend our time in this world while we live here in holy, reverent fear of God. Never forget, He is God. And then the fourth command that Peter gives in verse 22 is we're to love one another. Four simple commands, not always easy to do. Now remember the wherefore, okay? So Peter gives these commands to believers who have become weary because of persecution. They are weary because they live as foreigners and strangers in this present world. And by the way, were these commands Peter's idea? No. They come from divine truth. It was divine, the divine truth of God's Word that shaped those commands. And because of that, these things ought to shape how you and I feel about what's going on in our lives. We put our hope in God. Now remember, the danger is when we allow our circumstances to shape how we feel about something. Peter says don't do that. Allow your hope in God to shape how you feel about something. And it's only because of the truth of God. It's only because of the hope we have in God that you and I can live hopeful, we can live holy, we can live reverent and loving lives before our God. Folks, we can't, and I'll be preaching on this this morning, by the way, we cannot allow the world and its principles to dictate how we're to live. Our hope and our focus has to be on God. It must be. So remember, we're to set our hope fully on God. Not part of the way, but fully. (laughs) And Peter says, this hope, this holy fear, those two things are the foundation for living a holy life for God in this crooked, perverse generation. It's also interesting, uh, Peter used those verbs to 
uh, talk about the hope we have, the truth of God's Word. But he also used some participles to help modify them, if you will. And in verse 13, he said, look, you need to prepare your mind for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. How many know that obedience begins in the mind? Why is that? If you're going to obey somebody, you've got to first determine what? I'll do it. I'll make a decision to do it. And obedience follows that decision. It begins in the mind. Obedience is a conscious act of our will. How many know it's easy to praise God when things are going good? How many know it's, it's easy to be obedient when things are going well in our lives? But if we're going to be true to God, we have to nail this down. We have to be absolutely determined to be tough and uh, in our walk with God. We are going to stay focused on Him. And we have to make that determination early on if we are going to be obedient when tough times happen in our lives. Not if they will, but when they will. I'm often reminded of Daniel, chapter 1, about verse 8. Daniel determined in his heart, he purposed in his heart, he would not defile himself with the king's meat or the king's wine. Daniel drew a line in the sand, and he said, I'll go this far, but I'm not going anymore. Folks, we need to be determined if we're going to be tough in our walk with God. Yes. That's true, isn't it? Yes, he did. Well, you know, Mike, you have a good point. And by the way, what would you know about things bad in your life anyway? Yeah, I understand, brother. You know, you know, I know you. I love you. But you know, what you said about Job is so true. And, you know, in chapter 1, Job is called a godly man. But you get to the end of the book, and Job says, I didn't know God like I thought I knew him. I didn't know God like I thought I knew him. I wasn't, now I'm paraphrasing, I'm not as deep with God as I thought I was. After all of that, Brother Mike, guess what? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's good, man. What a testimony. Now, by the way, folks, uh, I spend more time with Mike and Santa than I really want to. I'm kidding. But he's not, he's not bragging. I, I, I've been around him enough. And the, I've often said to myself, I want to be like that. I'm not sure that I am. But, you know, we've got to be determined. We have to be determined. Peter goes on to say that we've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be self-controlled. And Peter said, look, don't, don't allow what you're going through to dictate your response. Don't do that. 
Don't do that, he says. If you're going to remain determined, if you're not going to be overcome by external pressures, don't let your circumstances dictate your response. Was that a bell, Jason, you rang a while ago? Anyway, Peter says the bottom line is we're to live our lives in such a way to reflect and represent God wherever we serve, wherever we live. We're to be holy as He is holy. We are to understand that this salvation was not plan B. Aren't you glad? Peter said it was planned from the foundation of the world. And Peter says, look, you have an amazing opportunity. You're seeing that plan that was birthed from the foundation of the world. It's being unfolded before your very eyes, and we see it today through Jesus Christ. The prophets didn't see it that far. The angels inquired about that. And then he goes back to the theme of the resurrection. He says, look, let's get personal here. Make sure your love is sincere. Without hypocrisy, that's what it means. Have an unfeigned love, a fervent love, a sacrificial love, a selfless love. So much here in this text today. But I'm going to tell you, folks, let's live our lives not on how we feel, but what we know. And Peter ends this chapter reminding us that even people are like the flowers of the field. We flourish for a while and we fade away. But Peter says, one thing you can count on, the word of our God does what? It endures forever. Let's stand together. Next week, chapter 3, First Peter. We pray you'll come back and be a part of that study. What a tremendous study today. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for that living hope and that inheritance that will never fade away. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless each other.